Hey, hey, welcome to the Church Home Podcast with Judah Smith, my amazing husband. My name is Chelsea, and he is about to give you an incredible message. And I know you're going to hear about Jesus and his love for you. And if there's anything we can do as a church home community, we would love to serve you. You can come to churchhome.org slash pastor chat, and we would love to have a conversation with you and just meet you exactly where you are. Enjoy the message. So this is, this is, I don't, this doesn't always happen. And I'm going to be really, really honest with you. Uh, the way talks come to me, it doesn't really matter, but they come differently than it came today. And it came in a sentence that I felt from God. And, and bear with me, because uh, for those of you that understand hermeneutics, which is the interpretation of the ancient scripture, which really is a lot of the role that I play here, I'm not here to concoct new concepts. I'm here to actually explain the ancient ones and, and make sense of it. The, the age-old greatest story in history, right? That God became a man whose name was Jesus, and he died for the air, wrong, selfishness, sin, and all of humanity. So he who knew no wrong became our sin, so that by believing in him, in his substitute death, that we could have relationship with God forever and ever without end. So that's going to be the same message I'm going to preach, but they don't always come like this. And this is what God said to me today. And I say that lightly, carefully. I think I heard from God. God, but I got this all of a sudden, this sentence in my head and this warm feeling in my heart. That's the truth. And this is the sentence I got. I'm not far from you. I want you to tell the church tonight, I'm not far from you. I'm not far from you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt by way of scripture to explain what I think God means when he says to you, I'm not far from you. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that it's you and God alone, and somehow you know you can hear God. Now, some of you are like, I don't know how to hear God, which is, by the way, that's totally normal. That's very typical. Uh, I don't hear from God a lot, but when all of you are showing up, God has a way of being like, I'm going to give you something, son. You know, so it's, it's more of a desperation situation. Having said that, if you've never heard from God, no worries. But imagine if you could, and imagine if what you heard from God was that phrase. I'm not far from you. What if you knew that you knew that you knew the greatest being in universes known and unknown was near to you, near to you, was walking with you, whether you're aware of it or not, was driving in the car with you, whether you're aware of it or not, or if you're like me and you don't prefer to drive, why drive when you don't have to? I hate driving personally. I do not like it. So I'm grateful when I'm, anytime I'm not driving is wonderful. But imagine anyone like driving, any drivers? Why am I asking who likes driving? Why, who cares? You know, you guys are so nice. No, I do. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I am a terrible driver, which is why I don't like to do it. Because I don't like to do things I'm not good at. So Chelsea's like, you're a bad driver. I'm like, well, then I'll never drive again. And that's how we've made it some 23 years. By the way, I'm married to one woman for clarification. She is the love of my life. And uh, we're coming up on 23 years of marriage. Man, sex has been good lately. Like, Judith, we're not doing this tonight. I brought a friend. All right. What? <laughs> What's so weird? 43-year-olds, married 23 years, still making sex jokes to stay relevant. It's not relevant. All right. <clears throat> what if you knew that God was near? 
How would that change your wants? How would that change your fears? How would that change your goals? How would that change your tomorrow morning? Like if you knew, you know what I'm talking about, like I, you know, no. Like you are 100% convinced God is shotgun with you in your Mazda Miata. Like thousand percent. God and you are together. You can sense him. You can feel him. You can feel his love. You can feel his listening ear. You can feel his compassionate heart. You can feel his investedness in your life. You feel him like a father. You ever had a father or a father figure or a grandfather or a stately older person who just showed you care and concern and safety and protection, maybe even at a coffee or a conversation, and you're looking at this person who has started to develop gray hair just like me, and all of a sudden there's a warmth that fills your being because you're like, I'm with someone who doesn't need anything from me. They just love me, and they're just safe, and I can just share my heart, and they're engaged, and they're listening. Imagine if you knew that was God. I'll say it even simpler. Imagine if you knew for sure God wasn't mad at you. Like, for sure. You knew without a shadow of a doubt God's not mad at you. And by the way, the people that think God's mad at them often think God is a million miles away. Have you ever felt like God is a million miles away? If you haven't, uh, you were born about a week and a half ago. For the rest of us, we have felt that a lot. It's the worst when you're supposed to be the spiritual leader and you feel like God's a million miles away. And everybody in the community is like, so what are you feeling from God? And I'm thinking, nothing, absolutely nothing. In fact, I'm mostly just in my head, worried, frustrated, agitated, and I want Christians to leave me alone and start criticize, stop criticizing me. You know, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't feel anything from God. Now, there's a correlation in my life, and this may not be true of your life, but oftentimes God feels a million miles away when I'm not at my best. Is that your trend? It is amazing to me how the human condition persists in when I am performing or how I define performance. Whatever spiritual performance means to you, whatever being present or engaged or there or being, whatever it is that, that defines for you. You know, when you're really locked in, when you're really kind of on your game, when you're really feeling yourself, isn't it crazy how close God feels? I am not here tonight. My assignment is not to help people who feel God is close because you're on your game. I know all about that. I mean, I, that happens even preaching. I'll preach a really good sermon. Most of them are good, I'm not gonna lie. And I'll preach a really good sermon and I'll be like, dang God, we did it. That was awesome, right? That's usually not when God feels far. When you're using your gift, when you're in the pocket, you're doing your thing, right? It's like, man, God, me and you, we're never gonna be apart again. And then all of a sudden, here comes that opportunity to be selfish, self-serving, arrogant, lustful, whatever it is. And all of a sudden you wake up, you throw the covers off and you're like, oh God, where are you? And we are, convinced that God is a million miles away. I need to say something, but I need to say it very, very carefully. And I want you to take this the wrong way, especially if this is the first time you've ever heard me preach. I'm a really nice guy in general. 
But for those of us that are still convinced that God gets far based on our performance, you need to hear one thing. Now buckle your proverbial seatbelts. This is not the nicest thing I've ever said, but you are not that important. Your lifestyle isn't that important. God's not like... You seen Jason Kennedy lately? <laughs> Ever since he got off cable TV, guy's a nightmare at home. I want nothing to do with him. Now his wife, Lauren, that's an angel. I will, still, I will stay near to her. But I'm gonna distance myself to let Jason know I'm not pleased. Because that's what a good dad does. That's what I do. When my kids piss me off, I just give them the old distance. You're annoying me, stay away. My 18-year-old, my 15-year-old. You would have enough sense to say, it's not good parenting, even though you're 21 and you know everything about parenting. Stop talking to me online, please. I love, I love you single college students who wanna tell me how to preach, raise my family, be married, all of this. Stop talking to me. I'm 43, I'm a grown man. Stop talking to me. I don't need your advice anymore. Your sweet little life of 21 years. Get out of here, but don't leave, stay. All right, ah, none of you are here. You're all the nice kind of Christians. But seriously, like, aren't we, aren't we funny? The greatest cosmic force in the universe, one night of porn. Let's go, guys. He gets all the angels at your house. Let's go. Let's go. Nope, we're out. We're out. Guys watching porn. Let's go. You still think God is shocked at what you do because you take on life in linear ways. God does it. Your tomorrow can't surprise him, for he is tomorrow. So God is never like hanging on every action like a spouse or a friend or a teacher. Did you turn your homework in? Well, then you're out. I had a friend text me today. When I'm not nice, he'll always just text me, you're out. I gotta get new friends. And I'm always like, you're kidding though, right? Because I'm like a pleaser and it like hurts my heart. I'm like, no, seriously, ha ha ha, LOL, ha ha ha. You know, like when you're trying to get that back, all I need is an LOL back. And I'm like, okay, we're good. I don't want to brag, but in 1992, I got tickets to see the Dream Team. Now, when I say the Dream Team, if you think of anything other than the team that Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan led, you need to grow up. There isn't another Dream Team. They're all just teams. This was the Dream Team. Okay, up until that point, we only had college basketball players playing against the world's best. 1992, we finally figured it out, and we said, we are sending the guys. Right? Larry Bird was teetering, barely still shooting because his back was going out. You remember that? They got Magic, and they got Larry, and they got Michael, and they got Isaiah Tump. No, they didn't. All right, so then they got, if you know, you know. So, right? I'm not talking about the team Vince Carter was on. He's wonderful. I'm talking about the dream team. They came to Portland, Oregon. That's where I grew up. Keep Portland weird. I love Portland so much. Portland's weird. So I got tickets somehow. To be honest, I can't remember for the life of me how I got tickets. I'm sure I did something illegal, but I got tickets. Now back then, I really didn't know. I just knew I was in the building. And that's all that mattered to me because I wanted to see Mike. 
I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. If I could be like Mike, right? I'm 43, grow up. It was a commercial Gatorade, my favorite. I would make everyone stop in the living room when that came on. Graham, you know what I'm talking about? I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. He's out on the playground. I'm like, ah, it's the Gatorade commercial. Back then, like commercials would come on. It would be a big deal. It was a form of entertainment. Commercial time for Saved by the Bell. So I go to see Mike. I had no idea. I had never been to a Blazer game, but I got the Dream Team tickets. I was the last row up against the wall in what we like to call in America the nosebleeds. And I got to be honest with you. I couldn't see Michael. <laughs> I couldn't see Magic. They looked like little ants. A little Larry, right? A little Magic. And I was like, this is terrible. I am so far away. Right? I didn't know. I thought everyone in the building, I was so young. I was a kid. I was 13 years old. I was just like, I'm in the building. So now I was like, I'm going to go down to the court. I got close to the court. They're like, show me your tickets. I'm like, ah, I forgot them. I just got to get through. They're like, nah, kid, you got to have like certain tickets to get access. Go back to where you came from. Went all the way up to nosebleeds and watched the game and told myself, I'm still in the building. I'm still in the building. I, could, I, I thought to myself, someday, and I was right, someday I'm going to tell my kids and my grandkids I saw the dream team, not a dream team. I saw the dream team play live. Now, when I say live, it was delayed. How far I was away, it was still delayed. It was delayed. <laughs> Magic shoots and scores. That was about three minutes before that, but I saw it eventually way up there. And that's how a lot of Christians live, just happy to be in the building from the cheap seats. Hey, that's what I deserve. I'm not a good guy. I'm not a good gal. I'm not the right person. I, I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. To be honest, I was listening to a song the other day, and one of the lyrics was, I hope we get to heaven. And a lot of people just believe that that's what life is. If, if there is a God, we can't know him. If there is a God, we can't know her. If there is a God, they're a million miles away. They're not active. They're not involved. And by the way, who am I to presume that I could know God? Why would God give me an audience? Why would God be close to me? No, God is busy with important people or noble people or moral people or godly People. Now, this is what happens. When you start to feel like God is a million miles away, how we subsidize that sensation is typically with an attempt to improve our personal performance. That's what we do. So we get this feeling, I'm in the cheap seats with God again. Oh no, God looks like a little ant and all the nice good people in life look like little ants, but I'm up in the cheap seats because this is what I deserve. I haven't paid the price. I haven't dedicated my life to the Lord. And I used to think just like this. I used to think someday God will put me on the stage because I'm going to be a man of God. And what none of these preachers will tell you, now I can't speak to preachers in other belief systems. I don't know them as well, but I know those Christian preachers. I know all of them pretty much been to their houses, the whole thing. And what a lot of us preachers aren't telling you is we got the same dichotomy in our life that you have in yours. Do you know what I mean by dichotomy? You know, you know the delta between who people perceive you to be and who you really be. 
and you're constantly trying to cover the spread. You're trying to cover the delta. You're trying to be that person that everybody thinks you are. Am I the only one that go, get, gets off a phone call sometimes and I'm exhausted because I was busy trying to cover the score, cover the delta, cover the spread? Trying to, hey, praise God, God, it's so good to see you. Oh, man, you too. Click, oh, God, I'm exhausted. <laughs> These people. I love church. Mine is staff and parishioners. I'm super into church. Come on, it's a joke, everybody. Relax. Some guy I was playing golf with told me that last week. He doesn't go to church. Everybody relax. I go, oh, that's funny. I did kind of laugh, but I love you. Just not the staff. I'm kidding. I love the staff as well. People are real. Life isn't easy. But we conclude that if God's going to be close to me, I, I mean, all I'm saying is when you feel God a million miles away, you just try harder. And what you may not know is you compound the problem because you insist on reinforcing in your brain and your body that it is your performance that dictates and determines the proximity of the divine. I want you to realize how self-absorbed that is. It's so self-absorbed. Well, you know, this week, God's gotta be pissed with me. Oh, you are so adorable. You think that's how fickle this is for God? That every relationship God has with a human is like, all right, I loved you today, but today's, an, or I loved you yesterday, but today's a new day. Oh, that's a cuss word. See ya. <laughs> Gotta go. And God is more like the old lady you run into at the supermarket who's like, hey, this generation. And you're always on your best behavior when you see her. And you're like, hey, hey. Mrs. Johnson, how are you? Good to see you today. Good to see you too, little Billy. Are you good? I sure am blessed. God's good. Prayer works, little Billy. You keep praying. Okay, Mrs. Johnson, good to see you. I'm going to say my prayers today. And that's how you think God is. And you ain't never prayed for Mrs. Johnson not one time in your life. But every time you see Mrs. Johnson, you're like, I sure am praying for you, Mrs. Johnson. Liar! Most of you say you praying. You ain't praying. What I have learned, by the way, when you tell somebody you're going to pray, just pray real quick right when you tell them. I'm dead serious. I do this all the time. I say, I say I'm praying right now. And I say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, help Jason Kennedy, Lord. I do, because I don't want to lie. And then you get in the habit, bro, I'm going to be praying for you. Man, just pray right now. Does God feel far right now? Why? Why does God feel far from you? Like I said, I, I felt this in my own life. And then I came across this scripture and I'm going to end in Luke chapter eight and then have the, whoever's playing the piano tonight here in a few minutes. Um, there's the scripture in Matthew chapter three and verse two. And Jesus says this, and we have totally misunderstood the scripture. He says this, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Anybody know who said that? Uh, John and Jesus, actually. By the way, phenomenal student, by the way, over here. John, well said, because everyone's going to say Jesus, am I right? John and Jesus, his forerunner and Jesus. Repent! You know how many people, I get this all the time, 
hey, you need to preach on repentance more, pastor. And what people mean is they just don't hear me say the word, and so it bugs them. They expect preachers like me to tell you, you need to repent. First of all, you don't even know what that word means. This is 2022. Repent! And you're like, wait, I heard a guy on the street corner a few weeks ago, he was saying the same thing. <laughs> repent! Which, for those that don't know what it means, let me tell you what it doesn't mean, but what we think it means. Repent is change your bad life. Quit being bad. Be good like me. I want us to look at this verse. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word at hand means arm's length. Repent means change your mind. So Jesus literally is saying, or John is literally saying, change your mind because the king and his domain is at arm's length and it's all around you. Which is to say, it is time to change the way you see yourself and you see your world because God is close. God is close. Right now, this seems slightly arbitrary, but I assure you it is not. If you will develop an awareness of God's nearness, not dependent on your performance, your sensations, or your emotional dispositions, or your morality, or your discipline, or your practice of the spiritual disciplines, but if you will take God at his word, you will experience what all my critics tell me I don't preach about, which is a change of your mind, not a change of your performance, a change of your mind. Now, when it says repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the response from the people should not be, okay. Okay, that's not how the teachings of Jesus work. Jesus doesn't teach like, he said, if your eye calls you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. He's not looking for his audience to go, okay. <laughs> Super cool, thanks. All right. Whose dad's a butcher? Let's cut this guy's hand off. You know what he was doing, right? Like, what? But that's how we'd still take him. The teachings of Jesus are to bring man to the end of himself. So you should hear the teachings of Jesus and go, my eye sins every day. Have you seen yoga pants? Like, what am I supposed to do? I blame aloe. What am I supposed to do? Right, like, but Jesus says, if you lust, pluck your eye out. What's he, he's trying to get his listeners to go, excuse me, what is it? This is impossible, yep. So what are we supposed to do? Well, my advice would be, try to locate the most powerful force in the universe. A superhero-like person, a mythical figure, who could, transport you through this life in a very supernatural way and could give you moral fortitude within yourself you do not possess, who could help you see your neighbor different than the way CNN or Fox tell you to. You think we're going to beat racism by watching the right newscast? You think I'm a match for racism? 
It was here before you got here. You think we're gonna defeat racism because we try harder? You think we're going to like stop looking at naked people late on the internet at night because we're like, I'm not gonna do it. No more naked people. I don't even like nudity. You liar. And you're like, Judah, why do you always bring that up? Because it is so prevalent in our culture. It is everywhere. And we like to play pretend in institutions like these. And we want to pretend that everybody's okay and we're not okay. We're not okay. It's an epidemic of massive proportion. It's affecting all of us. We are super over ridiculously sexualized and it's just a lot. And it's a lot for any of us to carry. And yet we persist to take the teachings of Jesus as if we are the key. Okay, all right. God feels far, not for long. Wait till he sees the two weeks I'm about to put up. And then here comes the Western culture, right? Grind. Let's go. Let's go. So we come to churches like this, and we want pastors who are like, I'm going to give you three keys to improve your moral standing so that you can attract the favor of God in your life. That's not biblical. I can prove it to you. I am living, walking, talking proof. At 43, that God blesses nightmares and he favors train wrecks and he blesses self-absorbed, selfish people like me. And every time I walk on this silly little stage, it's not silly, I love it, but silly is an S and stage is an S and it sounds good coming out. Every time I get on this spectacular stage, what you don't know, but him and I know, is I usually go to the bathroom right before, number one, everybody relax. And I have a favorite, I didn't, that's not meant to be weird, but I said go to the bathroom, everyone's like, oh man, I know what he's doing. No, 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 it's very quick. And I literally, it's my routine, and I, it's right back here, and I go, all right, God, it's me and you up there. Hey, nobody else. It's me and you, and you and I both know. And if you don't help me, I'm gonna be staring at these people blank. And they're gonna be like, come on, man. I came to the Sabaham for this guy, right? And I'm just proof every time you come to the Sabaham, if you ever wondered if God would bless and favor and grace and help and inspire really average, broken, selfish people, let me be your example. Don't fool yourself. You think God's blessing on your life. Do you know how blessed you already are? You live where you live and you are who you are. And hard pressed to find one unattractive person in this entire auditorium, you sickos. This is ridiculous. Our name used to be the city church. They called us the pretty church. Sounded to be a deep compliment. You're beautiful. You're, you're blessed. You're you're loved, you're, you're, um, you're a nightmare, aren't you? So am I, so am I. Every day I wake up, I feel like I'm on the verge of doing the dumbest thing I've ever done. 
Yeah, Judah, are you paranoid and afraid? No, I'm just a little more honest the older I get. I'm a nightmare. I'm tired. I'm just a guy. This is hard. Can I quit now? I don't want to do any more podcasts anymore. Because <laughs> everyone leaves comments and stuff. And I just thought we were going to be all friends, you know? Especially, like, all the Christian people, you know? Like, I thought we were going to be, like, buddies. And they're the meanest, you know? Like, here's a couple of things, and <clears throat> we're going to keep moving. But um, so Jesus and John say, repent. So change your mind because God is all around you, and he's at arm's length. I, I literally want you to, this is how close God is. This is how close he is. I can prove it to you. If I had more time, I'd take you through a little Bible study and take you to more scriptures. And he's just right there. He's, he's a whisper away. He's a thought away. He's just right there. He's just waiting, anticipating. I've been gone from my little puppy. You knew I was going to get him in the sermon, little Louie. And I came home and they, you know, he thinks of me as dad. I think you get it. And I'm like, Louie, my guy. And he comes running over. He knows my voice. He knows my scent. And he knows that I'm in charge of the whole house. I'm just kidding, babe. But the point is, it's a little comedy up here. <laughs> We're good. Um, but his, his tail's wagging and you know, y'all know what I've been through. I, this, this dog has changed my life and I see animals, I see deers and I want to be like, hey, it's like Louie. You know, like, I really do. I've lost my mind. A little frog got stuck in our little candle hole to the other night. I was like, hey, little buddy, <laughs> I got a friend named Louie. He'd love to meet you or eat you, you know. <laughs> but um, he's just, he just couldn't wait for me to get home. And you know, when God tried to display his character, which is the reason he does what he does, when he got criticized about having friends that were bad and not church folks, Jesus was criticized that he had bad friends. They didn't have church friends. He had bad friends. And so he told a bunch of stories, made up stories, fictitious stories that he authored to reveal his character. And one of them was about a dad who waited outside evidently every day with his tail wagging, if you will, waiting for his son to come home. And it is imperative for you to remember Matthew 7, 11. For the scripture says, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? Make no mistake, your God is not a teacher or a coach or a mentor. He is a father. He's more of a father than I am to Zion, Elliot, and Grace. He made me in his image. I didn't get to form the kids at all. I just played the seed part. I'm not trying to be gross. God says I was fearfully and wonderfully knit together by the hands of God in my mother's womb. And he said, I shaped you and I made you the way I wanted to make you. Now, sickness and disease and plagues has, have, have perverted the human body and is disfigured. And there are people that, 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 that are not fully healthy. And a lot of that is because we live in a fallen world. Wars, racism, selfishness, these things are destroying the human experience. And we need a savior. 
and he reveals himself as a father. So when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he doesn't say it like a high school football coach. But that's how we hear it, because we're American. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's go, let's go, let's go, boys. Help us all, let's go. You're like, two a days with God. That's not how it works. That's not how he said it. But we hear tone. We hear 2022 tone. We hear Fox News tone, CNN tone, Instagram tone, Twitter tone. Everybody's got an edge. Everybody's got an angst. Everybody's got an ax to grind. Everybody's got, am I the only person that when someone says, excuse me now, I'm, I'm like, what? Is that happening to you? Excuse me. I'm like, what? I'm like in line at Safeway and like, sir, excuse me. And I'm like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you want? Do you know who I am? Do you not like my sermons either? Today I'm in a bathroom at the airport and I'm blowing my nose and I'm like sneezing and I'm like, God, this is embarrassing. You know, since COVID you sneeze and you're like, ah! you know, so I'm just like, ah, I'm trying to hide. And so and then I'm wiping my nose and I'm trying to get anything out of the, you know, the little mustache. I'm like, that's so gross. And this guy goes, oh, you look fine, Judah. And I go, oh, hey, kind of like you're a pastor. Quit looking in the mirror. And so I go, hey, this happened today. This is, this is good material. God knows when I need it. I go, hey, and now I'm scared. I, pr I promise you I'm scared. I'm so normal. I'm just like, ah, hey, man. And he's like, so which city do you live in? Because I go to your church in Seattle. Are you in LA or Seattle? And I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know how much I should tell you. <laughs> you sound like a blogger. You like the Mariners? <laughs> I'm retired. <laughs> Are you on edge? I'm on edge. I wish I wasn't on edge. I'm supposed to be the pastor. I'm supposed to be on edge. I'm supposed to be the guy that's like, hey, brother. Hey, sister. God bless you. Praying for you. How's the kids? Oh, my word. Love you guys. New puppy, huh? Beautiful. Who's that? It's my pastor. Instead, I'm like this guy. I'm like jumpy, you know, at Chili's, TGI Fridays, airport bathrooms. You look fine. All right, sorry. I'm vain. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're looking in the mirror too. All right. The point is, I digress. Huh. God is not far. And, and here's, here's a couple of things. Uh, just, I'm going to say this very quickly. I won't expound on this. But here's three observations from Matthew 3 and verse 2. The first one is God is not far. God is not far. Number two, he's not hard to reach. But number three, repent for the kingdom of heaven. It also reveals he's not a mad father. He's not a mad father. If I could give you anything tonight, I wish I could give it to you packaged in a way that would wow you so you would keep it. Make no mistake, wrapping matters. It says something about the gift. So if I had time, I would wrap this better. But if I give you nothing tonight, what if you left here truly believing that God is not a mad father? Your whole world would change. You think I'm teasing. I mean, I mean he's not mad when you're bad. That's what I mean. Because you're in church right now, so you're like, oh, me and God, we're good. I'm talking about when you're bad, you and I think he's mad. His, his emotions are not dictated by your performance. You have to stop thinking it's about you. It's about him. There's a lot of humans on earth, and he loves them all. And they're all his sons and daughters. He's not a mad father. Now, this brings us to the conclusion of my sermon which will be another part two. I mean, it'll be another hour. I'm kidding. Everybody relax. I'm tired too. 
By the way, I'm on an airplane today. This is a true story. No word of a lie. My wife can confirm this. I'm on an airplane. Anne-Marie was there as well. I'm on an airplane flying from Seattle because there's a church there that I also pastor, and I'd like that young man in the bathroom to know that. All right, so the pilot comes on or somebody comes on the airplane. They're like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, quick update. We got a little complication here. The coffee makers having a little bit of technical issues. We got some wiring problems. We're going to get back to you real quick. We're like, eh, not a problem, coffee maker. What's the big deal? About five minutes later, I got some bad news, folks. Listen, the coffee maker is, it's not working. We're gonna go ahead and deplane and we're gonna get you a new plane. As God is my witness, I yell out, we'll go without the coffee, you know? It's not a cool thing to do if you're a minister, but I couldn't help it. I was literally like, no, no, seriously. If you'll give me five minutes, I can persuade the whole plane to go without coffee. All I need is five right? We'll do a quick little history lesson on the coffee bean, you know, all that kind of stuff. Bam, bam, bam. And everyone will be like, we're good. But no. So we deplane. Three hours later, they got us a new plane. God bless them. God bless them. Delta, you really looked after me today. <clears throat> but we're here. And I made it through the bathroom experience. <sighs> Why did I say that? I don't know. <laughs> Do you guys see my leopard print stool? Yeah. Love you guys, man. <laughs> Kidding. All right. Here's where we're going to end. I saw a leopard print. I was like, we're putting the leopard print out there. You never miss a chance to participate in life with leopard print of any kind at any moment. I'm done. I promise. Here we go. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 suggests that God will bless, honor, care for, and watch over bad people like you and me. I can prove it. So Luke 8, there's this story, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately and preached some different sermons on it, but I want to show you something I've never seen before. Luke chapter 8, uh, Jesus, Luke chapter 8 is about the divine authority and dominion that Jesus has on earth. In other words, Luke chapter 8, like a lot of the gospel stories, is to reveal the divinity of Jesus. It is so that the reader knows that Jesus is not just a prophet, he's not just a speaker, he's not just a leader, he's not just a teacher, he is God in the flesh. Now keep in mind, you're going to have to kind of face this if you want to kind of put Jesus in the nice guy category. You can't really do that because he's the guy who's like, I'm I'm God. And if you don't think I'm God, then you don't get me. So Jesus has to be God if he's going to be like a cool guy. If he's not who he says he is, he is a legitimate weirdo. Like there really can't be any, any in between. Like in modern times, if, if, if somebody in 2022 was like, I'm God, we'd be like, either you are or you, or you we, we got a problem. There's no two ways about it. So Jesus came repeatedly claiming his own divinity. Pretty big claim. Now, what you'll notice is he'll do a lot of things to reinforce that claim so that people know God has, in fact, moved in the neighborhood. God, in fact, is near because evidently that will change everything. That will change your thoughts. That will change your thinking because if God came near, if President Barack Obama walked in here, this room's going to change. At least it is for me, okay? I'll be like, oh, and I would just keep going as best I could, okay? But it would, it would change presence can change. You're like, wait, what would President Obama be doing at the Savon? And I'd be thinking the same thing that you're thinking. And I'd be like, this is cool. Okay. Um, this is wild. But, but it, would, it, would, it would change. The, the presence 
of the most formidable, powerful force in the universe drawing near to you individually should, in fact, when digested properly, change everything. Change everything. I mean everything. So, in Luke chapter 8, we will see the number 12 repeatedly. I'm going to say this very quickly to keep moving. Number 12 is a very significant number in Scripture. For instance, 12 disciples. Jesus chose exactly 12 young men. 12 is what we call the number for divine government. Every time you see 12, it's this idea of God's government, God's systems, God's structure, right? So he has 12 disciples. The Bible says he's going to heal a man's daughter who is sick and dying, and she is 12, right? So in other words, this particular chapter is telling the reader that the government is on his shoulders. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is God over it all. That's what Luke 8's trying to tell you. 12, 12, 12, 12. But there's a 12 that's not scheduled that interrupts the regularly scheduled program. And it's a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Now, based on the more than 600 Jewish laws, Hebrew laws, this particular woman was defined and categorized as unclean. Now, what that meant was for as long as she had an unclean flow of blood, which was 12 years, she had to live outside the city walls, outside the community, not with her kids, not with her friends, not with her family, or if she did have a spouse, she lived outside. She was quite, quite literally on the fringe, an outsider looking in, in the cheap seats. She's up there real high where the nose bleeds. She's way out, and that's how we feel, isn't it? I mean, when we're not doing great, you feel like I don't belong here. Maybe I really shouldn't be a Jesus follower. Maybe I don't belong at this church home thing. Like I, I really hadn't been to church in so long. I, I don't know if I'm really the right person. But that's not how this works. Please don't misunderstand. We are not here for a pep rally where I am trying to promote and concoct from you a particular performance that makes you acceptable in this community. That is not what we're doing here. We are settling the groundwork. We're settling the, the foundation which says God specializes and works with damaged goods. In fact, he only works with damaged goods. It's the only goods he works with. For the damaged goods that think they're not damaged goods, he loves them, but he waits. He waits for the realization that you cannot save yourself. He only works with damaged goods. The Bible says this particular woman, I don't know how she mustered up the courage, but she decided I'm going to go inside the city walls because I have heard of this man, Jesus. Now I want you to imagine for a moment, if for 12 years you were ostracized from your rightful community and nobody could lay eyes on you, you couldn't even buy fruit at the market, you couldn't even go to the open square, you couldn't go to the theater, you couldn't go to the synagogue, you couldn't participate in the family reunion for 12 years. But the news she heard about Jesus was so grand. From best we can tell, it was the first time she was just saying, I'm gonna risk it all, because I got to get close to him. And so Jesus, on his way, navigating through throngs of people to get to Jairus' daughter who is sick and she's 12 years old. Wouldn't you know it that a woman with a 12-year blood flow 
sneaks, key word, sneaks, sneaks in to the story of Jesus, sneaks into the scene with Jesus. I wonder if there's any sneaky people here tonight. And if you don't think you're sneaky, you're the worst sneaky. There ain't nothing worse than a sneaky person who doesn't think they're sneaky because they're really sneaky. Because you're like, oh, you don't know you're being sneaky and manipulative and controlling. You're dangerous. It's the sneaky people who are like, I'm pretty sneaky. You're like, well, not that sneaky if you say you're sneaky. You know, the guy who's like, dude, I am an arrogant, selfish person. Well, not that bad because you already outed yourself. So you are on the road to humility, my brother. Right? So I suggest if you're sneaky, and you are, for all have been sneaky and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Basically what the Bible says, everybody has sinned. Everybody has missed the mark. Everybody's got some sneakiness in them. Everybody. But I thought growing up that God didn't use sneaky people. So I was constantly trying to get the sneak out of me. I just got to get the sneak out. I got to stop being sneaky. And so I'm just going to, and my life became about not being sneaky rather than being about following Jesus. And I kept telling myself that I'm going to start following Jesus around town once I get the sneaky out of me. And what I failed to recognize is that all that Jesus wants from me is to admit who I really am, which isn't that hard. Isn't that hard for you to say, I am a human, which means I've had a selfish thought the last 10 seconds. I've had a lustful thought within the last 30 seconds. I'm slightly, I tend to cheat in board games. You're like, I would never. All right, you cheated other things. There's a sneaky in all of us. And all Christians don't like this. Some preachers didn't like it. I start talking about sneaky. They don't like it. Judy, you can't tell everybody to be sneaky. All right, they're going to be sneaky anyways. And preachers can be sneaky because we preach messages and don't tell nobody that we're sneaky. And then when people find out we're sneaky, they're like, oh, there are sneaky preachers? Yeah, just like they're sneaky people. They're sneaky preachers. But the preachers have told you they're not sneaky. And so you expect them to not be sneaky. But they are. How many times do you think I can say sneaky? <laughs> That's kind of what I'm doing right now. It's a little bit of a game. I don't know why I've turned it into a game, because I'm in the middle of a sermon. But I'm just like, sneaky feels good right now. <laughs> not to be sneaky, but just to say the word. So she sneaks. Yeah, the lady in Luke 8, she sneaks. She's breaking the law. She's not supposed to be there. This is illegal. You can't do this. You're not clean. You're unclean. You're unclean. You're unclean. You don't work. You don't fit. You're unclean. The law says so. It's right. You're wrong. You can't be here. Not allowed. Not accepted. Go away. Get out of here. In the cover of a disguise, I'm sure, she sneaks into the city she was kicked out of. Now, wouldn't you think that the author of the law, God himself, when discovering the sneaky lady, yeah. would say, hey, you sneaky lady. 
way. Because isn't God an American high school football coach? Hey, you sneaky lady. All right, you're going to give me 150 burpees. She sneaks up. No plans to touch Jesus. Jesus is now wearing leopard skin. And she sneaks up and... The news she heard about this man is so good. I want you to digest this for a second. The news she heard about this man is so good that she came up with this idea. If I can touch the clothes he wears, it will probably cure my problem. Now, I want you to ask yourself the last time you met somebody so great, you thought, I'd just like to touch their clothes. Because if I do, their clothes will change my life. You've never said that, you weirdo. <laughs> That's how persuaded this woman is. Who did that persuading? God. It's all God. So she comes up and she touches the bottom of his robe which hang, hung tassels and pomegranate forms and the edge of his robe like a rabbi robe would represent the 630 plus Hebrew laws. But Jesus was wearing the law on his robe because he was going to be the fulfiller of the law once and for all so that we don't have to live by law, we live by love. And so she touches the hem of his garment and it's not the law that heals her. It's not the rules that heal her. It's the one who fulfilled all the rules and all the laws. And she's healed! Because Luke wants the reader to know that God has power over everything. And she sneaks away. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? Insert comedy moment in the Bible. All the disciples are like, what in the world are we talking about now? He wants us to pluck our eyes out, cut our hands off. And now he's talking about who touched me. Everybody touched you. Everybody. I did. He did. We did. She did. What? Come on, man. I mean, who touched you, bro? This is confusing. And he go, Peter, Peter literally says, Jesus, to be honest, man, everybody's been touching you. Everybody. Boom, 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 boom. I just did. Boom, 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 boom. You know? He probably didn't cross him up, but you know, like. And Jesus says this. This is really interesting. He says, no, somebody touched me. Listen, somebody touched me and I perceived power go out of me. Which means to say, now hold on a second, hold on a second, hold on a second. This is good, this is good. That you can be near Jesus, but when you realize why he's near, not earn it, just recognize, oh, he's here so he can help me. They got something different than the people who are just like, hey, hey, what's up, man? And she's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. And she sneaks away and he says, who touched me? Now, this is interesting because anytime Jesus asks questions, he does not really, it's a rhetorical. When God asks questions, that's when you listen. You're not like, great question, God, glad you asked. Let me fill you in. <laughs> 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 who 
Who touched me? Everybody be quiet. That's the key. Who touched me? The Bible says when the woman discovered she could no longer be sneaky. Don't get me started now. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I can prove to you in Scripture just as much that God is near to you when you're at your best. I can prove to you, I'm pretty sure, that God is closer to you when you're at your worst. Because he's a dad. I've been away from my kids for about a week. If any one of those kids called me in bad shape, and I don't care if they brought it on themselves. Dad, I stuck one of those Q-tips up my nose. I'm at the ER, and they say I got a reconstructive surgery. What do you think I'm going to do? All right, son, tell them to make it cool. See you in a week. Well, my baby's hurting. Delta, try to keep me. Grounded. Try. I go to United, Alaska, Horizon. Don't tempt me, I'll go to Southwest. Take my seat. That's my seat. Herding cattle up in the sky. Ready, set, go for your seat. <laughs> I got so much on Southwest. I've flown way too much. You ever done the walk of shame on Southwest? You're one of the last people to board because you had to get a flight and they couldn't get you on another flight, but they get you on the last Southwest flight. You ever walk down a middle aisle where there are open middle seats and people want those open middle seats and you're walking down the aisle, it's one of these and everybody just leaning over and you're like, okay, no, okay. I mean, you feel rejected. Anyways, when my kids are hurting, I'm there. Don't forget what he calls himself, Abba. Daddy, Father. We keep telling ourselves, God is waiting for me to be good. When I called my kids this week, they're like, yeah, all good, Dad, yeah. How's school going? I know you started school well, dog. Yeah, it's good, it's good, it's good. And the more good they are, the longer I'm going to stay away. Because I'm a good father. I'm kidding. Uh, not totally. But if there is a problem Dad's coming. And you have failed and I have failed to recognize that that is just how our father is. He says, who touched me? And she's now trembling. She's thinking to herself, I'm done. And then somebody can come play the piano because I need to end. So whoever wants to come play the piano, that would be awesome. Whoever wants to come play the piano. Some, 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 Elijah, I love you. Some week, man, I'm going to learn the piano. Can you imagine if I went up there and just, do I ever cross your mind anytime? All right. So, like, what are we doing? so it's a worship song. All right. Are you good, man? I love you, bro. It's so good to see you. Elijah's a saint of a man. True story. Give it up for Elijah. True story. I'm closing, Elijah. We're closing. We're closing. She, um, she's terrified. She's terrified because she thinks she's going to be outed just like you do. Just like you do. Who touched me? Most of us in this room, because our theology informs us, be afraid. For the great 
cosmic leader of the ages is calling your number. Be very afraid. And so artists and lyricists write songs. I hope I go to heaven because I've heard he's pretty strict. Who touched me? And we hear him in his stern voice and she comes out trembling. And she says, I, I didn't, I just, I was just trying. And she tells her story. She probably thought about telling another one. She's like, I'm, and, and the audience had to be aghast. The audience had to suck air. It's her. We kicked her out how many years ago? What is she doing here? Jesus says, who touched me? And she comes out to God just like we do. Um, I'm really sorry, man. I screwed up again. I'm, I had a tough weekend, man. But I just came back because I thought maybe like, yo, my bad. I, I'm out of here. I'm not supposed to be here. I don't belong here. And I want you to hear the most gorgeous word in the whole scene. He says, and this is how I hear the tone of Jesus. Who touched me? Who touched me? Please. Who touched me? Who was it who touched me? Master. I know. I know, Peter. Hold on. Who touched me? Who was it? Please. Please tell me who touched me. Um... It was me. Jesus gets a big grin on his face. And I do not think this is interjecting too much to the text. I think we haven't interjected enough. We make Jesus a robot. He says, <laughs> daughter, faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now you hear peace, which means a nice tranquil night with crickets cricking. He says, go and be complete. Go and be whole. He's telling us more here. He's, he's saying, I am the God over all problems. And, but the flow of blood is a picture of sin. Sin is a constant flow of loss of life and human experience. It is dehumanizing you and it's constantly causing a flow from your life and only Jesus heals. But we come with this embarrassing flow called sin and we come to Jesus and we hope to disguise ourselves because maybe at an off chance he might include me. Maybe I hope I'll go to heaven. And he says, son, that's family language. Daughter, that's how a father talks to a daughter. He says, you're mine. And your faith has made you well. Now go and live a whole life. A complete life. And just a few verses later, he will show up at Jarius' house and that Jarius is told by reporters that the daughter is already dead. And Jesus stops Jarius and says, do not doubt, only believe. And he goes and he raises the 12-year-old girl from the dead. He heals the older woman with the 12-year blood flow. He heals the younger 12-year-old from death because he holds the power to forgive sin and resurrect the dead because he's God. Show me a better God. 
tell me a better story. Tell me what you believe and I'll change my mind. But I can't find a better story. I can't find more proof. I can't find more facts. There is more proof of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth than some of our first presidents in this country. Tell me your story and I'll tell you mine. I believe in a God who's personified by grace. Truth, yes, but grace is always before the truth. And his grace gives you what you don't deserve. You're forgiven. New life, new beginning. Has things died in your life? He can resurrect them back to life. Do you have an addiction? Do you have a secret sin? Are you sneaky in life? You know what your father wants to say to you? Son, daughter, trust me, you can be whole. Not earn, impress me, trust me. Trust me. What we fail to recognize, and I'm done, I'm done. What we fail to recognize is that Jesus is giving public commendations to the woman they ran out of the city. The church ain't ready for this. Jesus stops his tour to honor the woman they kicked out of the city. Now you hear daughter, what she hears is intimate language that nobody uses unless you're family. Jesus is commending the woman they called unclean and wicked. For where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Hey, 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 change your thinking. For God is at arm's reach from you. Why are you striving? Why are you anxious? Why are you fearful? Why are you so unsettled? For the traditions of men make the story of God not effective anymore. For we play pretend and we turn institutions like this into country clubs. And do you know how you stay a part of a country club? You, 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 you perform according to the public policies posted. And you know, you know, I've been written up at a country club. They wrote a letter to the director and I'm very proud of that. One time I was quitting a country club and they said, you owe us $2,500. I said, that's a lot of money for me. So no, no, I'm quitting. They said, no, you're going to have to give to that fund for the new building. I said, no, no, I'm quitting. You understand? She, 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 she said, she said, sir, if you don't pay this $2,500, we will photocopy a face of your picture and we will post it throughout the country club. When did the church become like that? Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? We might as well post photos. Did you hear about so-and-so? You know, she, yeah. Tough times. Well, you know, so-and-so doesn't even go to church anymore. And who are you? Look at you. The keeper of all things in the church of Jesus Christ. Aren't you amazing, you sneaky little person that doesn't know you're sneaky yet? I got so many stories, I'm done. I want a couple of other things. Stop, don't mess with me. 
I want to say a couple more things as I, I, before I leave you, and then, and then the whole band can come out, because that helps us get done, too. It's once a month, guys. Grow up. Okay. So, like, grow up. But um, touching God is almost entirely God's work. Did you hear me? Touching God is almost entirely God's work. God gives you the desire, the desperation. He comes near. He changes the distance. And then he demonstrates his power so that you know that you've touched him. Can I say it like this? If God doesn't want you to touch him, you never will. I can promise you that. But what you and I have failed to recognize is that he wants to be reached and he wants to be touched. Come on. He said, who touched me? Because he was proud. He said, who touched me? Because he was pleased who touched me because he wants connection. He wants relationship. He wants romance. That's the point of it all. Your career is cute. Your goals are sweet and your hair is nice. But what this is all about is him. And so my last point is simple. Touching God is not about what he'll heal or what he'll do for you, here's where we miss it. Touching God is about God. See, my passion for you in this church is that we don't gather at the Saban so I teach you how to touch God so you can have more money or you can have more renown or you can live your dream. Oh, I hope you live your leopard skin dream. but I hope you know God more than anything. You make your bed in hell, God will meet you there. You look at the human history of human beings that lived before us and the tyranny and the injustice and the pain and you read about these old saints who can endure the most despicable, deplorable conditions because he was there. They weren't asking God for a condo. They were asking God to help them live another day. So it is not my job to teach you how to get a condo from God. Although I'll pray for your condo. I'll pray for anything, to be honest. You need a parking spot at the airport. I'll pray for a parking spot at the airport. Oh, I'll pray about anything. But that doesn't mean everything is as important as anything. What I dream about as a church when, when we come to God to pray, we gotta forget about what we're praying about because it's just about being with God. Isn't he the treasure? Or have we missed it all? I mean, if you touch his clothes, he can heal your body. Can you imagine if you walk through life with him? His clothes could change your life. His jacket could change your whole existence. And he is near. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna keep hearing the high school football coach that the traditions of this country have propagated? 
or are you going to hear your eternal father? My son, I'm so proud of you. For it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. That's where the preachers got it wrong. They thought the high school football coach tone was going to cause people by the thousands on the streets of America to stop dead in their tracks and say, you said it loud enough, finally, I'm going to change. But the Bible says his nearness, his fatherly love, his tender care, his forgiveness, his mercy. Eventually, man, he's the realest thing in your life. And you would do just about anything just to have him. I just want him. I just want him. Is there some people in this room that are old enough to know that at some point in your life you start to check a few boxes off? I'm not 20 anymore. I told you, I'm 43. They say I'm at halftime, you know. I don't even know if I want to live to 86, to be honest. And I hope that doesn't discourage you. You won't care, trust me. But I don't know if I want to go 86, you know. So I'm definitely at least at halftime. And I made a few dollars. I sold some books. I preached on some really cool church stages. And I wanted to when I was a young man. And I've done enough now, you know, that there's nothing like the nearness of Jesus. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. And you have him. You have him. He's yours. So God told me to tell you, and I did it in basically an hour. Everybody relax. God told me to tell the church, I'm near to you. Now, what are you going to do about that? I'm near to you. I got to be honest, man. I'm tired, you know, a little bit. And I got on that plane today and I just really didn't care about the coffee, you know? And I was a little frustrated and I was like, God, and he said, I'm near to you. And I said, whoa, man. I want you to tell the church I'm near to them. And I started thinking about you. Oh God, if we could, if we could build a church where people really believed that God was as near to them as their next breath, son, God will never leave you nor forsake you. What's crazy? I'm done, Elijah. I'm done. Come stand up here. What's crazy? He doesn't listen. What's crazy? <laughs> He's past that. What's crazy is that King David said, I've learned something about God that if I make my bed in hell, And God told me to tell some people, you've made your bed in hell. And you're living out hell, man. And you're in a lot of pain. And I want you to know that I'm not there. Maybe nobody from this church is there. But I can promise you, your heavenly father is there. Just, just right there. 
And so, I'm done. But it's once a month, guys. There's this song, and we're not going to sing it. I didn't even tell Elijah because I don't want to try to. But there's this song, and it's called Sales. And this is what the board picture I got in conclusion. And the lyrics say like this. I've opened the sails of my heart, God. I've opened the sails of my heart. And I saw that sailboat like I see your heart. And I want us tonight, and I really mean this, I want us tonight in the few minutes we have left to open the sails of our heart. Do you know the difference? You know, when your heart is, I want you to put suspicion down. I want you to put distraction down. I want you to put performance away. I want you to tell your anxiety. I'm going to talk to you in a minute. And I want you to open the sails of your heart and see if the wind of God's nearness and love could fill your sails again. I believe it's going to happen. God is so proud of you, man. He's not mad at you. I know she broke up with you last week, and I don't know who I'm talking to, so just bear with me. I know she broke up with you last week, but God told me to tell you he'll work all things together for good. You and your dad, a couple of days ago, you had that call, and you were cussing each other out, and you were yelling at each other, but I'm telling you, God is a good father, and he's going to help heal things up with your dad. You hearing me? Let's open the sails of our heart. And what I am suggesting is very mystical. It's very supernatural, and I make no excuses. It is what it is, friends. I believe in a magical, mystical, mystical, powerful, wonderful, beautiful force who has a name, Jesus Christ. And he can fill the sails of your heart with his love. Let me pray for you. Wonderful, wonderful God. I have actually never met anyone like you. And so on behalf of this church, we just want you to know that you have captivated us, sir. God of the whole earth, God of galaxies known and unknown, the God who breathed the cosmos into existence, it is on this night we declare we are amazed by your ways and the content of your character. You are wonderful beyond comparison. You are beautiful beyond description. They say you're the lion. They say you're the lamb. They say you're the lily. They say you are the love of the world. They say you are the rose of Sharon. There are so many names. They call you Jehovah. They call you Jaira. You have all of these names and none of them even scratch the surface of your wonder and your beauty and your majesty. Wonderful God of the whole earth. We open up to you now. You know our pains. You know our weaknesses. You know our sneaky ways. You know our questions. You know our complaints. You know our fears. You know our worries. You know our anxieties. None of these things are lost on you. None of these things are a mystery to you. And so we come before you and we open our hearts and our souls. We bring out the sails of our heart and we say, fill us again with the wind of your love and your acceptance, and your mercy. Oh, God. Oh, God, if you're here tonight and you say, Judah, I would like to, for the very first time, 
of my own decision, of my own free will. I want to receive Jesus for who he claims to be. I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. I want to receive Jesus as my once and for all sacrifice for my sin, my selfishness, my wrong, my error. I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to be a believer in Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to know Jesus. If that's you tonight, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand all over this auditorium. He's going to put it right up on the count of three. And I'm doing this for you, for when you act on the outside to what's happening on the inside. It just makes it more real to you. You know who you are. One, two, three. If that's you, shoot your hand up all over the auditorium and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else, you just lift up your hand. God, you see these hands. But more than a hand, you see a soul. And you see a heart that is eternal. And we thank you for that. And now we dedicate these brief moments of melody and harmony and music. Fill the sails of our heart. If you're willing and able, would you stand to your feet? And let's join the musicians and the singers and the band. And let's open the sails of our heart to the great God of the earth. Come on.